Life is complex. Join us for the simple gifts of wisdom, love, and delight in the written word. Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis Book 3 Christian Behavior Chapter 4 Morality and Psychoanalysis I have said that we should never get a Christian society unless most of us became Christian individuals. That does not mean, of course, that we can put off doing anything about society until some imaginary date in the far future. It means that we must begin both jobs at once. 1. The job of seeing how, do as you would be done by, can be applied in detail to modern society. And 2. The job of becoming the sort of people who really would apply it if we saw how. I now want to begin considering what the Christian idea of a good man is, the Christian specification for the human machine. Before I come down to details, there are two more general points I should like to make. First of all, since Christian morality claims to be a technique for putting the human machine right, I think you would like to know how it is related to another technique which seems to make a similar claim, namely psychoanalysis. Now you want to distinguish very clearly between two things, between the actual medical theories and technique of the psychoanalysts and the general philosophical view of the world which Freud and some others have gone on to add to this. The second thing, the philosophy of Freud, is in direct contradiction to the other great psychologist, Jung. And furthermore, when Freud is talking about how to cure neurotics, he is speaking as a specialist on his own subject. But when he goes on to talk general philosophy, he is speaking as an amateur. It is therefore quite sensible to attend to him with respect in the one case and not in the other. And that is what I do. I am all the readier to do it because I have found that when he is talking off his own subject and on a subject I do know something about, namely language, he is very ignorant. But psychoanalysis itself, apart from all the philosophical additions that Freud and others have made to it, is not in the least contradictory to Christianity. Its technique overlaps with Christian morality at some points, and it would not be a bad thing if every person knew something about it. But it does not run the same course all the way, for the two techniques are doing rather different things. When a man makes a moral choice, two things are involved. One is the act of choosing. The other is the various feelings, impulses, and so on, which his psychological outfit presents him with, and which are the raw material of his choice. Now this raw material may be of two kinds. Either it may be what we would call normal, it may consist of the sort of feelings that are common to all men. Or else, it may consist of quite unnatural feelings due to things that have gone wrong in his subconscious. Thus, fear of things that are really dangerous would be an example of the first kind. An irrational fear of cats or spiders would be an example of the second kind. The desire of a man for a woman would be of the first kind. The perverted desire of a man for a man would be of the second. Now, what psychoanalysis undertakes to do is to remove the abnormal feelings, that is, to give the man better raw material for his acts of choice. Morality is concerned with the acts of choice themselves. 
Put it this way. Imagine three men who go to a war. One has the ordinary, natural fear of danger that any man has, and he subdues it by moral effort and becomes a brave man. Let us suppose that the other two have, as a result of things in their subconscious, exaggerated, irrational fears, which no amount of moral effort can do anything about. Now suppose that a psychoanalyst comes along and cures these two. That is, he puts them both back in the position of the first man. Well, it is just then that the psychoanalytical problem is over and the moral problem begins, because now that they are cured, these two men might take quite different lines. The first might say, Thank goodness I've got rid of all those doodahs. Now at last I can do what I always wanted to do, my duty to my country. But the other might say, Well, I'm very glad that I now feel moderately cool under fire, but of course that doesn't alter the fact that I'm still jolly well determined to look after number one and let the other chap do the dangerous job whenever I can. Indeed, one of the good things about feeling less frightened is that I can now look after myself much more efficiently and can be much cleverer at hiding the fact from the others. Now, this difference is a purely moral one, and psychoanalysis cannot do anything about it. However much you improve the man's raw material, you have still got something else, the real, free choice of the man, on the material presented to him, either to put his own advantage first or to put it last. And this free choice is the only thing that morality is concerned with. The bad psychological material is not a sin, but a disease. It does not need to be repented of, but to be cured. And by the way, that is very important. Human beings judge one another by their external actions. God judges them by their moral choices. When a neurotic who has a pathological horror of cats forces himself to pick up a cat for some good reason, it is quite possible that in God's eyes, he has shown more courage than a healthy man may have shown in winning the VC. When a man who has been perverted from his youth and taught that cruelty is the right thing does some tiny little kindness or refrains from some cruelty he might have committed and thereby perhaps risks being sneered at by his companions, he may, in God's eyes, be doing more than you and I would do if we gave up life itself for a friend. It is as well to put this the other way round. Some of us who seem quite nice people may, in fact, have made so little use of a good heredity and a good upbringing that we are really worse than those whom we regard as fiends. Can we be quite certain how we should have behaved if we had been saddled with the psychological outfit and then with the bad upbringing and then with the power, say, of Himmler? That is why Christians are told not to judge. We see only the results which a man's choices make out of his raw material. But God does not judge him on the raw material at all, but on what he has done with it. Most of the man's psychological makeup is probably due to his body. When his body dies, all that will fall off him. And the real, central man, the thing that chose, that made the best or the worst out of this material, will stand naked. All sorts of nice things which we thought our own, but which were really due to a good digestion, will fall off some of us. All sorts of nasty things which were due to complexes or bad health will fall off others. We shall then, for the first time, see everyone as he really was.
there will be surprises. And that leads on to my second point. People often think of Christian morality as a kind of bargain in which God says, if you keep a lot of rules, I'll reward you. And if you don't, I'll do the other thing. I do not think that is the best way of looking at it. I would much rather say that every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different from what it was before. And taking your life as a whole, with all your innumerable choices, all your life long, you are slowly turning this central thing either into a heavenly creature or into a hellish creature, either into a creature that is in harmony with God and with other creatures and with itself, or else into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God and with its fellow creatures and with itself. To be the one kind of creature is heaven. That is, it is joy and peace and knowledge and power. To be the other means madness, horror, idiocy, rage, impotence, and eternal loneliness. Each of us, at each moment, is progressing to the one state or the other. That explains what always used to puzzle me about Christian writers. They seem to be so very strict at one moment, and so very free and easy at another. They talk about mere sins of thought, as if they were immensely important. And then they talk about the most frightful murders and treacheries, as if you had only got to repent and all would be forgiven. But I have come to see that they are right. What they are always thinking of is the mark which the action leaves on that tiny central self, which no one sees in this life, but which each of us will have to endure, or enjoy, forever. One man may be so placed that his anger sheds the blood of thousands and another so placed that however angry he gets, he will only be laughed at. But the little mark on the soul may be much the same in both. Each has done something to himself which, unless he repents, will make it harder for him to keep out of the rage next time he is tempted, and will make the rage worse when he does fall into it. Each of them, if he seriously turns to God, can have that twist in the central man straightened out again. Each is, in the long run, doomed if he will not. The bigness or smallness of the thing, seen from the outside, is not what really matters. One last point. Remember that, as I said, the right direction leads not only to peace, but to knowledge. When a man is getting better, he understands more and more clearly the evil that is still left in him. When a man is getting worse, he understands his own badness less and less. A moderately bad man knows he is not very good. A thoroughly bad man thinks he is all right. This is common sense, really. You understand sleep when you are awake, not while you are sleeping. You can see mistakes in arithmetic when your mind is working properly. While you are making them, you cannot see them. You can understand the nature of drunkenness when you are sober, not when you are drunk. Good people know about both good and evil. Bad people do not know about either. Tis the gift to be simple. Tis the gift to be free. Tis the gift to come down where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, t'will be in the valley of love and delight. When true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend, we will not be ashamed. 
to turn, turn, will be our delight, till by turning, turning, we come round right. <laughs>